Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of November 23rd through November the 29th. Hope that you're all doing well out there this week. Uh, this week, we're going to be seeing a few contacts with Mercury to the outer planets. There's going to be a trine to Neptune early in the week, a sextile to Pluto later in the week. And then Mercury is going to make a sextile to Jupiter uh, at the end of the week. We're also going to see Venus opposing Uranus this week and Neptune stationing direct. So those are kind of the highlights that we have for the week. We are also building up to a full moon lunar eclipse on Monday, November the 30th. So it's kind of a lead up week to that full moon eclipse and the big changes that are going to be taking place at that lunation. So let's dive right into it and check out our planetary condition report. Hope that you're all doing well, getting ready for a hopefully a socially distanced Thanksgiving. Um, one of my favorite holidays, and it is definitely a bummer that um, we're not all able to get together with our loved ones, but I would highly encourage everyone if you haven't made plans to do so, but um, COVID's getting pretty bad out there. So I hope that the ability to delay some gratification this year and kind of take one for the team is, is uh, I hope we're able to do that for the, for the sake of our loved ones and for the sake of the longevity of the people that we care about and for our community members. So we're going to be staying home this year and doing maybe just some, some Zoom calls on Thanksgiving. And it is definitely not ideal, but uh, that's the circumstances and the hand that we've been dealt uh, this year um, with our situation. So um, hope that, that everyone can, can follow suit and, and do the same and, and really, really pare down their, their get-togethers this year. It's 2020. That's kind of par for the course. So we'll get through this. This too shall pass, and there will be family gatherings in the future. All right, so let's talk about these planetary configurations and see if we can make some sense of it. All right, the sun this week is going to be moving from one degree Sagittarius to roughly eight degrees Sagittarius, where it will be the triplicity ruler during the day. Uh, it is moving fast in motion, and it'll be in the terms of Jupiter from zero to 12 degrees. One of the other uh, kind of important things that we have going on this week that may not be um, apparent right away when you look at a chart, but we have this condition called Antitia happening between the sun and Saturn on the 23rd, which is Monday, and then the sun and Jupiter on the 26th, which is Thanksgiving. So Antitia is kind of this like shadow, uh, shadow quality to the planets, like a mirror image reflected across the solstal axes. So in this case, we have the winter solstice happening at zero degrees Capricorn, and we have the sun in one portion of uh, Sagittarius and Jupiter and Saturn in, in the later portion of Capricorn. And one of the concepts with this is an Antitia point is like a shadow. So it is a place of equal light on e either side of the solstice. And we'll get into that in a little bit more depth as we get into the daily report, but that is something to keep in mind with our sun. We're going to have kind of like a, almost like a secret conjunction between the sun and Jupiter and the sun and Saturn. 
So the only other aspect that the sun is making this week is a trine to Mars in Aries, a newly direct Mars in Aries as of the last week or so. Uh, its host will be Jupiter in Capricorn, which it is in aversion with, but we do have that sort of Antitia relationship. There were a few different types of relationships that planets had with one another that weren't just um, based on rulership. Uh, one of those was Antitia. We had that, and that was also called uh, seeing or beholding. Um, and there was another uh, type of experience called um, commanding or obeying, which were basically based on mirror images uh, on either side of the equinox. And those were kind of like echoes of one another. And these are different types of ways of experiencing those, uh, those very important uh, kind of cross of matter points uh, with the signs. So you know, the, a couple other things we've talked about on this show is the, the concept of like and girding, where a planet will rule multiple uh, houses. So like, for example, we have Mars in Aries that is also ruling all of the Scorpio planets uh, as well, because Mars rules both Scorpio and Aries. So again, there's just kind of these mitigating factors if a planet doesn't have a, a natural aspect or does not see a planet um, from a particular domicile. There's kind of these other factors involved. So the sun is having some challenges by being in aversion to its host and having its host being in its fall or its depression. So while we might want to move forward with some of our Sagittarian plans or our Sagittarian goals, um, it may be a little bit difficult to do so because uh, Jupiter is in a, a debilitated state. And we really have to, to consider the ramifications of what we are moving towards as well, because, you know, generally Jupiter is about connecting ourselves to a belief system that may be informed by our higher self. Uh, but when it's in Capricorn, it's being provided resources by Saturn. And this may, may really uh, draw us down to earth and have us, you know, have a more practical concern with what we're trying to do on a spiritual level. So um, that's a challenging type of uh, relationship. So we have this kind of, we're aspiring towards spirituality, but we're being given these like almost mundane resources to do it. And that's, that's, a, that's a strange position for Jupiter to be in and one that it's not very comfortable in. So Saturn this week will be in Capricorn, moving from 27 to 28 degrees Capricorn. It will be fast in motion. It's in its own domicile, and of course, it will be in that Antitia relationship with the Sun on the 23rd or Monday. It's in the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. It will be co-present with Jupiter. It's making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries and sextiling Venus and Mercury in Scorpio. It is, of course, in its own domicile, so it has access to all its own resources. Jupiter this week will be in Capricorn, moving from 24 to 25 degrees Capricorn. It is fast in motion. It will make contact with a fixed star at 24 degrees Capricorn called Pavo. Um, and that was a, a fixed star in the constellation, um, the Peacock, or pa Pavo was the Peacock. And it's a very southern constellation that wasn't really recognized until the 16th century. 
So it may or may not have a significant astrological meaning based on kind of our Hellenistic system, but we can explore it a little bit and see if there might be some meaning that we can draw from that uh, projected ecliptical degree conjunction. Um, Jupiter is, of course, in its fall. It will be in the terms of Saturn from 22 to 26 degrees and co-present with Saturn, who is also its host. It is making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries and sextiling Venus and Mercury in Scorpio, just like Saturn would be. Um, so again, Jupiter is not, not super happy. Um, it's trying to bring some assistance to Mars, uh, even with that square position. Um, but it's not in the, the greatest shape to do so. So again, we, we have the benefics this week that are um, not, not happy campers. We have Jupiter in its fall and Venus in its exile. So it might be, it might be difficult for us to have a um, revelry and pleasure this week, which, is, which really seems to align with the compromises, the difficult compromises we're going to have to make um, with a holiday like, like Thanksgiving, where we generally get together with people and celebrate with abundance and good food and, and togetherness. And that might not be, we might not be able to manifest that this year in the same way. And that may lead to some difficult emotions and some difficult, uh, you know, I don't know, difficult conversations. Um, it's a, it's, I don't know, all I can say is that we're all going through this and hopefully we can come out of it um, intact. And I think part of that is through that delayed gratification that Saturn and, and Jupiter is really asking us for at this point. All right, let's talk about Mars. Mars is going to be in the sign of Aries this week or the temple of, of Aries. Uh, moving from 15 to 16 degrees Aries, it is slow in motion because it just turned erect and it is starting to pick up speed, but it is not fast yet. It's in its own domicile. In the terms of Mercury from 12 to 20 degrees, it is receiving an overcoming square from Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn and making a trine to the sun in Sagittarius. So Mars is starting to pick up speed again. We might be starting to have an idea of what we want to do moving forward. Um, We're still being asked to take our time and to have patience due to the overcoming nature of those planets in Capricorn. Um, and we may still feel some frustration about not being able to, to act under our own power or act uh, under our own, I guess, sovereignty on some level as well. So just be patient with the process. I know it's hard to do, um, but that is what is being asked of us by the collective right now. Um, let's move forward to Venus. Venus is in Scorpio. Moving from 2 to 10 degrees of Scorpio, it is fast in motion. It will be in its exile. So it is in a temple that is most like or ruled by Mars. So that's one distinction that has been kind of made in my studies over the last week or two is, you know, Robert Schmidt compares a, a, a sign or a, zo a zodiac sign to a temple that is like its host. Um, so Mars is, uh, so Scorpio is, is like Mars and the resources that it provides a planet, the way that it changes a planet is Mars-like. So it's kind of like when a planet moves into a sign, it sort of takes on 
some of the characteristics and some of the nature of that sign. It still has its own agenda, but it's being given these, these particular types of essences to work with or these particular circumstances to work with. So Venus in Scorpio is being uh, it, it intends or would like to bring things together that are separated. But it is in a place, it is in a context where separation is kind of the name of the game. And the Mars type of separation that happens in Scorpio is the separation from the, the spirit, from the body, so that the, the form, the material form can return back to the earth and spirit can return back to whatever collective it is returning to. So we may be trying to work through some of our relationships and, and, and try to harmonize that process of separation, um, which is awkward. It is an awkward thing for Venus to be in a place that is so concerned with uh, death with decay, with um, composting, rather than with beauty, with um, attraction, and things of that nature. So we can also consider the, the position of Venus can tell us a little bit about the types of things that we either may attract or be attracted to while it is on its journey. So we may have an attraction to some of the more darker sides of life, some, some more of the dirty uh, alleyways of uh, this earthly experience. We may be taking a journey to try to find catharsis, which is one of the significations of Venus, where we're expressing deep emotions, either through art, through, through music, through any type of aesthetic ritual, okay? And we are trying to cleanse these very heavy emotions that we are experiencing. So um, we may be attracted to, to the dark arts, I guess you could say, or, or something that is gothic or something that is, um, you know, I don't know, think about like uh, wearing dark makeup or, or wearing black or red or something of that nature uh, or, you know, a skull t-shirt. I don't, I don't know. It's just, these are cliches, but just uh, scary movies, horror films, right? Uh, it, it is kind of like taking pleasure in some of the, the uglier sides of life or some of the darker sides of life. Um, and that's something, you know, when we watch a horror film, we may try to find pleasure in things like murder or things like monsters, these, these horrific things. So that could be one of the ways we're experiencing Venus this week. Now, Venus is going to be making an exact opposition to Uranus on the 27th. So we're going to feel the buildup to that over Thanksgiving as well. So this, this is a, you know, kind of a wild card for our holiday season, where we're trying to bring harmony, but it may, we might have that harmony shaken up a little bit. Uh, which is understandable considering the, the circumstances. Now, it may also be that we have to be really innovative about the way that we get together with people, maybe through the use of technology. Um, we have to use our idealism to, to kind of work through some of the, the challenges that we have. And, and we have to use the quality of hope that eventually these things will get better. 
Venus will be in the terms of Mars from zero to seven degrees this week, and then it will move in, into its own terms from seven to 11 degrees. Now, Venus is also the triplicity ruler of the water signs by day, so it does have some dignity in that case. So it's not completely uh, devoid of dignity this week, Venus. So we may be able to kind of salvage something out of these difficult circumstances, whether it's a phone call, a Zoom call, maybe we have a much smaller gathering where we are still able to cook and with our immediate family and with our household that we live with. Um, and we can try to find gratitude and joy in that manner. I think that when you're going through this process, a lot of it is the, the spirit that counts. And yes, some of those traditions that we've gotten used to may have to take a different form this year, but the spirit can remain the same, expressing gratitude, expressing, uh, you know, th this appreciation for the other people in our lives or for the abundance that we have. Uh, I think that can still, we can still do that even if we're just having to stay home with our immediate family and not travel. All right, so Venus is also going to be co-present with Mercury this week and sextiling Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn. Its host will be Mars in Aries. Now, it is in an, an aversion relationship with its host, but it has one of those Hellenistic um, mitigating relationship factors called like and girding that I've described as a planet that is uh, has sympathy with another planet if it's in another domicile that it hosts. So there is some sort of relationship between Venus and Mars this week. And the same is true for Mercury and Mars. So Mercury will be in Scorpio moving from 16 to 26 degrees of Scorpio, or, or actually look 20, 27 here. Let's see. Um, yeah, my degrees are slightly off on my notes, but you get the idea. Uh, it will be moving in through its own terms from 11 to 19 degrees, and then it will become peregrine when it moves into the terms of Jupiter from 19 to 24 degrees and the terms of Saturn from 24 to 30 degrees. It will be moving fast in motion and conjoining a number of fixed stars in late Scorpio this week. Um, it will conjoin the fixed star Zubin El Shamali at 19 degrees of Scorpio. On Thanksgiving, it will conjoin the, the heart of the serpent in the hands of Ophiuchus at 22 Scorpio. That fixed star is called Unakalhai. And then at the end of the week, it will conjoin the fixed star Hader or Hadar in the, in the constellation Centaurus at 24 Scorpio. It, uh, Venus, I'm sorry, Mercury will be making an, an exact trine to Neptune and on the 23rd, a, an exact sextile to Pluto on the 27th, and an exact sextile to Jupiter on the 28th. It will be co-present with Venus in Scorpio and sextile Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn. Its host, of course, is Mars and Aries, just like Venus. So again, in that inversion relationship, also with this liking girding type of mitigating factor. The moon this week will be waxing from the first quarter to the gibbous phase. It is slow. We have a slow moon. It will be peregrine in Pisces and Aries, and then moving into its exaltation in Taurus. 
uh, where it is also the triplicity ruler of the earth signs by night and has some dignity in the second face of Taurus. When it moves into Gemini, preparing us for, for our full moon lunar eclipse, it will be peregrine. So this is a week of building up and kind of getting prepared for these big changes, for these giant chapter markers. These eclipses are, are very powerful new and full moons that generally, well, generally always happen near the lunar nodes of the moon. So in this case, the moon will be close to the, to the north node when we get to that full moon on Monday the 30th. And full, moons, uh, full moon lunar eclipses are culminations. They're kind of endings. They're the fruition of something that's been coming for a very long time. And we've been talking about over this new moon cycle that we were initiating the letting go of something. We had a new moon in the third decade of Scorpio where we were trying to get rid of old habits. We're trying to get rid of old illusions. And we were trying to come to terms with the fact that, that there were opportunities that may have passed us by that we just have to, to compost so that we can prepare for a new start. So we're going to be having this full moon lunar eclipse on the 30th that ultimately will be preparing us for a new moon solar eclipse that happens on December the 14th. So that will be a, a, a great new beginning in the Sagittarius area of our chart. But first we have to go through uh, an ending. So eclipses uh, in the Hellenistic and in the Vedic uh, understanding traditional astrology understanding were not, uh, they weren't fortuitous events. Uh, they, being associated with the nodes, the, you know, especially in Indian astrology or Vedic astrology or Jyotisha, uh, they thought of them as, as demons, as, as a great serpent that had a severed head, the North Node was, that was called Rahu. And Rahu was, uh, kind of a, a, a severed demon head that was trying to steal the elixir of life. And since that was against divine law, uh, one of the gods severed the head. And now that that is a hungry ghost, so to speak, that is can never be satisfied. Um, there was a great thread on Facebook in the traditional astrologers group about the nature of these nodes. And my understanding from the way that Robert Schmidt has described it and there, this is also, I think, uh, it's something to think about. Somebody argued with Schmidt's logic, but, you know, I don't know if anybody has uh, completely the, the right picture or the full picture on this. But Schmidt compared the North Node to Saturn due to potentially its association with Gemini uh, or its exaltation in Gemini, which is the 12th house of the Thema Mundi or the, natal, the metaphorical natal chart of the cosmos. And that in turn would make K2 or the South Node associated with the sixth house of the cosmos and, and Mars. So you can think of like the North Node, this is my understanding. Um, from that perspective, it would be like you are denied something so that you never get satisfied. You are always hungry for something because of the denial of it. Whereas with the south node, you have a body that's trying to process things. You have Mars where you've been separated and severed from something. And that is allowing you to digest these, potentially these experiences 
you are cut off from material form. You can also think about the nodes of the moon associated with form because of their uh, association with the moon. So the north node is where potentially where form is trying to come into being, okay? And the south node form leaving. That's another way that traditional astrologers thought of the nodes, the north node being one of increase, the south node one of decrease. So if we have a severed uh, body that doesn't have a head, we're trying to, to digest something. So there could be this digestion energy. And that fits really well, I think, with Mars, where we are being separated from material form. Um, and if you want to think about it in a, a more holistic manner, that could lead you to some spiritual insights. That is more how the I think the, the Vedic system tries to approach it, um, that by releasing form, that can help bring back your focus to your spirituality. Uh, but both, both of those nodes were thought of as malefic uh, kind of points, points that, that were difficult to deal with. Now, as I've described, malefic planets in the past, uh, just because something is reducing or bringing us difficulty does not mean that there isn't lessons or things that we can learn from that process. You know, there is a, uh, an eternal um, cycle of growth and decay, and that both of them are necessary. So if we think about it in that way, that is, a, that is a way we can deal with these eclipses. What I would recommend, though, is if, you're, if you've been more into kind of new age spirituality, where you, if you have like crystals or something and you charge them at the moons, don't charge your crystals at eclipses. Those are, because you, what you're doing is you're, you're trying to absorb the energy of these, you know, these demons, okay, these, these, the severed head, the hungry ghost of the severed head, or the body that's trying to digest these old things. And that, that's not recommended. Um, so uh, there are mitigations to these uh, eclipses. Um, Caitlin Kopic from Sphere and Sun Sundry has some really great articles on this that I would recommend if they're, if you're into ritual practice, um, a lot of it draws upon the Eastern tradition of propitiating the deity. And in this case, you would either uh, make an offering to Rahu or Ketu, respectively, or to a deity that is kind of the foe of one of those deities. Um, I believe Durga was like the demon slayer. So uh, if at one of these types of eclipses, you could pray to Durga to, to bring you relief from the, the demon. So those are just some some interesting pathways if you're into ritual practice like the like uh, many uh, practitioners of astrology are. Uh, this is something I've been doing a lot of research on lately uh, and thinking a lot about after really getting in into Jeffrey Cornelius's book, The Moment of Astrology. And he's really helping me to understand the divinatory nature of astrology and the divinatory nature of symbol and the way that we interact with astrology and how much of a ritual practice it was in ancient times. And I think restoring some of that ritual and reverence for these oracular speakings, these oracular omens, is important. And, you know, however you connect with the divine, um, some people do it through particular ritual practices connected with ancient 
Greek or ancient Mesopotamian practices. Other people do it through a more orthodox, organized religion, religion fashion. I don't necessarily think that astrology has to be in conflict with uh, other types of spiritual traditions, although it has been suppressed in some of those spiritual traditions. Um, and I think some of that is a mistaken uh, understanding of what astrology is actually trying to tell you. It is, uh, with any spiritual practice, we have multiple layers. And this is something I'm really enjoying learning about in uh, Cornelius's book, is he talks about hermeneutics. And you can see that the root of the word hermeneutics is Hermes. So this is kind of like hermeneutics is how do you translate the divine essence into something understandable in the human mind. And really, you could think of the, the whole system of astrology as a hermeneutic system. You know, Hermes in ancient Greek mythos was a, was a translator. He was a messenger. He went between worlds. So he may be trying to deliver uh, messages to us of divinity, okay, and helping us understand that divinity as it manifests as a literal event in our life. So we have the level, these hermeneutic levels of the literal event that happens. Uh, there was another type of uh, understanding where he talks about allegory. And, you know, one of the most famous allegories is Plato's allegory of the cave, where he talks about um, shadows playing out on a cave wall or these these folks that were chained up in a cave for their entire lives and they were witnessing shadows from a campfire of the, the real reality that was going on behind them. One of the, uh, one of the figures or one of the captives, they escape eventually and see the truth for what it is. And then they try to tell the, prison, the other prisoners about this truth that they've seen and that all that they're looking at are shadows, but nobody believes them. And this is kind of an allegory for the life of a philosopher, so of the ph philosophical path, of the love of knowledge and the love of the word, philosophy, philos. I believe um, th there was a Greek uh, root word, I believe it's philos, uh, which is about love, and you have uh, logos, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, I'm butchering this because I'm trying to, 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 um, I'm trying to riff a little bit on this, but I'm, I'm mixing up logos, which I think is the word, with Sophie, which I think is, is wisdom. So the love of wisdom would be philosophy, okay? So we have these, these figures in ancient mythology and ancient history that are trying to explain uh, divine concepts and, and tell people how what, what it means to live a human life. And they sometimes they do it through allegory. So back to my point about hermeneutics is a lot of times we will experience something literally, an event, and we try to understand it through storytelling or through metaphor or through an extended metaphor. Um, one other level he was talking about was a trope, or a tr which has the root word tropos, and a trope is more of the moral level of a symbol where we're trying to find uh, meaning in how that symbol can apply to 
living a, a, a good life uh, here on earth. Uh, and then the other type of symbol, uh, level of symbol, uh, is the concept of anagogy. So anagogy is more about being lifted up to the level of divine mystery. Okay, so this is a cool quote that I found when I was doing research. It says, the four methods of interpretation point in four different directions. The literal slash historical backwards to the past, the allegoric forwards to the future, the tropological downwards to the moral slash human, and the anagoic, anagogic, 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 upwards to the spiritual slash heavenly. So you can think of like, anagogy as the mystery, the something that, that can't necessarily be explained. It, it is that divinity in its essence, whereas sometimes we will see a symbol and we try to find meaning and how we're going to apply it to our life. And I think that can be associated with that, those tropes. Um, so yeah, an interesting thing that is a path that I am trying to unravel right now, uh, where my studies have led me to this point, and again, it, very baby stages of that research. So forgive me if I'm not as eloquent on it right now, but I thought that was something to start introducing uh, because I think it's really important for understanding these symbols um, and why we study this. Some of it is so that we can understand what it means to have a, a, a human life. Some of it is so that we can get closer to divinity. Some of it is so that we can understand these literal events that we experience and help find human meaning within them. All right. So that's what I've got for my planetary condition report and my little philosophical musings. I will also say that I've been getting a lot of cool books in the mail. I wanted to show you one that I really like. Uh, this is a book uh, called Secrets of the Ancient Skies, uh, and it is two volumes. I just have the first volume in my hands here. This is by Diana K. Rosenberg, and this is kind of her masterwork or her life's work about fixed stars, and it is very, very in-depth. Um, I would say that it, it definitely rivals the work of Bernadette Brady in its depth and maybe even expands on it on some level. Um, unfortunately, Miss Rosenberg passed away from cancer. Uh, I believe I was corrected on this. I thought it was only like a year or two ago, but I believe it was in 2012 uh, and after UAC 2012. Um, she wasn't able to finish completely all of her annotations and footnotes and, and whatnot in her book, but she finished quite a bit of it and it is really worthwhile. Uh, her family sells it on eBay. There's only one way to find it on eBay. Um, so if you're into fixed stars, it's a very great resource. And uh, I don't know how much, how many of those books are actually left. So if that's something you're interested in, I'd, I'd get while well, the getting is good. It's not the cheapest book set in the world, but um, sometimes you have to invest in things if you want to get the information. So that's what's been going on. That's what's going on with the research. Let's break down our daily forecast. All right, let's move forward to Monday. I'm gonna do one chart here. 
And we see Monday, and I'm going to move forward and put the, the sun on the ascendant here. All right, on Monday, November the 23rd, the moon begins in Pisces. We are continuing our first quarter phase where we were searching for meaning. We were having some difficulty between our outer actions, which may be represented by the sun in Sagittarius and the goals that we are trying to achieve and kind of the inner meaning that are, in, that are infused in those goals. And that was part of what we were dealing with with the first quarter moon phase where we're saying, what the heck are we doing and why are we doing it? And we may get a little bit confused at first uh, because sometimes it really takes uh, quite a, a journey to make it through the, the, the labyrinth or the maze of our, inner, of our inner minds, of our spirits, to be able to find something that really motivates us and is connected to divine will. Um, sometimes we want to do something, but it may not be connecting to divinity or it, won't, it is really not serving our growth as a soul. And sometimes we have to let that go. And we, those are the questions we really have to ask ourselves right now is the, is the goals that we're choosing to take action on in the material world, in the outer world, do they reflect uh, who we really are on the inside? And is that going to lead to wisdom? Is that going to lead to realization? Is that going to lead to service? Um, so those are the things that we're going to be starting off our week with. Um, the moon is going to be trining Mercury at 8.37 a.m., making a conjunction to Neptune at 10.31. It will sextile both Pluto and Jupiter towards the evening hours at 23 and 24 degrees of Pisces and Capricorn, respectively. Now, we do have a Mercury uh, we have a Mercury contact with Neptune at 11.39 p.m. at the end of the day. So we're going to feel this throughout Monday. And I would say that this Mercury trine is echoing some of these journeys that we are being asked to go on, uh, these inner journeys that we have to go on before we can really make that new external start. So, you know, we're, we're building towards this full moon in the opposition of, of Sagittarius and Gemini. So we are trying to think about what exactly is our, our goal? What, it, what do we really believe? How do we manifest the resources and skills necessary to bring it to fruition? And that might be part of the process of this moon cycle uh, that will help us to lead to the actual beginning of our, of our externalized process that probably will begin uh, at the new moon solar eclipse. So I think that this period of time is just about getting clear about what you really want and what you, and not just what you really want, what would really be in best service of your higher self, of the great cosmic being, of the great cosmic uh, unity. How are you furthering um, this organism that we are all a part of? And I think those are the questions to really ask yourself this week. And, and Mercury trined Uranus may help facilitate this. This may be a, an instance where, you know, Ren Butler talks about the power of visualization, intuition, insight, questioning your higher purpose, uh, searching for meaning with your intellect. This could be a time where you really have a fertile imagination, where you're really able to sit and meditate and connect to the divine. Now, you may have a desire to leave it all behind, though, too. This is the thing. Like, 
Neptune, from my experience, uh, is something where we want to escape. We have kind of this, we may feel a little bit of a lack of energy because it is, we are wanting to transcend this physical form altogether and potentially make a sacrifice to return to substance. Now, Schmidt had an interesting way of thinking about Neptune as, as you know, homogenized universal substance, like being like a, uni- a transcendental moon. Remember, moon is something that brought things into forms. It was substance. It was matter. And if we have a transcendental uh, version of that, this may be the, the divine substance where we're saying, what are we going to create with? We have Uranus representing the transcendental sun in Schmidt's uh, musings and, and uh, Pluto representing the transcendental Mercury in that same philosophical uh I don't know, hermeneutic, we could say. Mm-hmm. Hermeneutic being the rules of interpretation. Uh, and like I said, people argue about hermeneutics and have different beliefs on it, but that's the way Schmidt uh, chose to describe those outer planets and their meaning. So we may be longing to return to substance. Um, we may be trying to uh, separate from the idealism to return to this like I don't know, bliss, I guess, would be another way of thinking about it, where we're not thinking at all. Uh, And that could make it difficult with Mercury, because Mercury is all about kind of like uh, thinking, processing, you know, interpreting. And this may lead to some some fuzzy details. This may lead to like uh, overlooking uh, some particular um, conscious thought to try to get more to an intuitive less rational type of idea. So watch what happens on Monday as far as what bubbles up from like the subconscious, what bubbles up from source, what bubbles up where you can't really explain it, where it comes from, but you may want to follow that thread over the course of Monday because there some good ideas could come to you that may be divinely inspired. This is the type of oracular thinking that we're trying to do as astrologers. Okay, we're trying to receive an important message from spirit. And sometimes it's confusing at first. Sometimes we don't completely understand it. And we have to kind of, that's why the ritual of like meditating or asking for assistance and interpretation is, is important. It's why you just didn't sit down and read a chart or, or sit down and, and say like, oh, I'm just going to think my way through this. It was a combination of understanding what a symbol means what type of meaning has been assigned to it. And then also opening yourself up as a channel for that wisdom to flow through you. This is something I taught in my songwriting classes where I talked about as creators, as songwriters, we had to be both the sculptor and the midwife. And I think that Neptune is definitely has a a midwife quality to it, as does the moon. Uh, so we're, we're trying to open ourselves up to receive something rather than potentially actively pursuing it. Whereas like the sculptor takes that mass, takes that universal substance and shapes it into something. So like the sun is our will to shape something. It is that that universal knowledge, that, that aha moment where Uranus could be that kind of more transcendent aha moment, that very idealized version of saying, I am this versus I am not this, okay? The sun has the quality of selection. We are selecting who we are. 
We are selecting an identity. We are aware of something. It bubbles up into our knowing, our gnosis. Now, one interesting thing that's happening on Monday, the 23rd, is that we are seeing uh, the coming of a, an antitia between the sun and Saturn, okay? And I was talking about this in the planetary condition report, but this is a point of equal light between the solstice point. So imagine zero degrees Capricorn and zero degrees Cancer are, are solstice points. This is the summer solstice in Cancer, okay? This is the winter solstice in Capricorn. And on either side, either, you know, whether this is a day or whatnot, we have these, these positions that ancient astrologers liken to mirror images or shadows. And it's interesting because we talked about the shadow uh, as playing a part in the allegory of the cave. And I, I think that there might be some relationship with that right now. Uh, with, with the Antitia. Ancient astrologers said that these signs could see each other or behold one another and that they were of equal power. Um, but it was a secret kind of sympathy between you know, planets that were in these particular positions. So on Monday the 23rd through Tuesday, we're having this secret sympathy between the sun and Saturn. So this may be leading, think about when Saturn and the sun come together, when we may be feeling potentially some lack of vitality, uh, some sobriety. This is where we're really coming to terms with time. We're coming to terms with uh, not feeling as vital as we might in, have in the past. This may be a little bit of depression that sets in when we realize that we're not going to be able to do things that we enjoyed in the past. This may be a little bit of sorrow associated with the type of holiday that we are uh, having to uh, do based on the difficult circumstances of the year. So hang in there on Monday. Um, you know, try not to get too, too down. Um, see that this is merely a shadow that is bouncing on the wall. Uh, it, and there is a, a truth behind that shadow. And that truth may be that because of your discipline, because of your ability to delay gratification, you may be buying yourself future time with those people that you care about, rather than risking the fact that you may either get sick yourself or get people that you care about sick by traveling and saying, oh, I'm going to do this anyway. This isn't real or this isn't something I should pay attention to. That's the shadow. And that, that, that truth is that uh, this is a time of discipline. This is a time of restoring balance. This is a time of paying our dues. Because a large portion of our society has refused to acknowledge the reality of COVID and wear a mask or social distance or not uh, you know, practice some of the basic common sense things that we've been asked to do. This is the reality that we have right now. And this is the, the Saturnian rebalancing of that excess. 
And it's not fun, but it is something that is necessary to get us back to the point of being able to have some semblance of a of normalcy, I guess, or some semblance of shared reality where we can be with one another again. Again, I really highly encourage you to do the responsible thing this week uh, and through the holiday season. I can't stress that enough. I, I've dumbfounded sometimes when I look at the news and I see the numbers continue to rise and I still see people walking around without a mask or getting together in large groups or planning these big holiday parties or things like that. It's, I, I can't understand it. I can't understand that people are living in such a different reality. Um, it's very difficult to, to reconcile. And uh, that may be another part of this Antisha that may lead to some feelings of depression is recognizing the, the schism that we have in our realities right now with, with many different factions of, of our society. And that's something that we're going to have to come to terms with and try to, to reconcile uh, if we're going to have a, a, a shared reality eventually again, which we need to have to have a functional world. We have to have some sort of shared reality. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, we have to share every single belief, but we have to have enough of a shared reality that we are acting in a way that is not detrimental to one another. And, and that's something that is really important moving forward and that we're, we're at a turning point, we're at a crisis point with that particular thing. And that may be something that we're dealing with with this eclipse too, truth versus falsehood. Um, you know, belief versus questioning belief. Uh, I think that that's something we could see at this full moon because we have a Jupiter-ruled sun which is wanting to uh, confirm and stabilize belief system and a Mercury ruled moon, which is all about arguing, contesting, uh, casting doubt onto a reality. So this may be the, the big theme that we're experiencing over the course of the week as well as what is our shared reality? What do we really believe? Okay, one little side note about Antitia that I discovered today in my reading, and this was on astro.com. I was doing a little bit more research on Antisha. They have a really good article on there. Um, I believe uh, Tanya Daniels was the author. I, I could be mistaken, but I think that's what it was. Uh, I was confused because I was reading in uh, a couple source texts, Porphyry and Paulus, about Antisha and about seeing and beholding. And this is something that Demetra George has in her book too. And it wasn't matching up to the traditional or to the modern way of thinking of Antitia and the signs. It was different signs. And I couldn't quite figure out what they were getting at. And in that article, they explained that in ancient times, there were authors that used 15 degrees of Cancer and 15 degrees of Capricorn as the solstice points. And an author named Firmicus Maternus was one of the first authors to correct to the zero point to, to, to change where the, our, our understanding of those Antitia points would be. So it, it, that was a really light bulb moment as far as how, what they were trying to do with that. So if you come across two different definitions of Antitia, keep in mind that there was a, a, a 15 degree solstice point at Cancer and Capricorn. And my guess is that's because of the theme of Mundi being having a 15 degree 
cancer ascendant. I'm not exactly sure why they use that 15 degrees. That's still something that I will have to explore. Okay, let's move forward. Actually, before we move forward, just one little last note. Jupiter, I talked about this in the planetary condition report, but Jupiter is on this fixed star Pavo, which is uh, in the constellation, the peacock. It's very, very close to the South Pole uh, of the, uh, the celestial South Pole. Um, and it, it wasn't introduced until the 16th century. So who knows how much influence it actually has. Um, but see if it plays out and think of the nature of a peacock, a very showy, ostentatious type of uh, experience. Potentially, this could be connected with hubris, the pride that comes before a fall. Um, and maybe this is the, the pride or the, the hubris of thinking that we can uh, do whatever we want and not face consequences. I, I am nervous for us as a collective right now because of that hubris, because of that wanting to do whatever we want to, regardless of the reality, that the, hard, the harsh, cold reality, the Saturnian reality that's staring us in the face. So be very careful over the course of the week that you don't fill yourself with pride or hubris or ostentatious behavior when what is required of us right now is humility, is uh, paring something down, of doing something in a smaller fashion rather than an ostentatious fashion. All right, let's move forward. Sorry for the bummer uh, forecast this week, but it's just, it's a tough time right now. And I just wanna give you the truth as I see it. And again, everyone's truth is gonna be slightly different, but I'm trying to deliver some sort of oracular meaning to these literal events that we're experiencing. And uh, the sky is trying to speak to us right now. The sky is trying to tell us what is required of us to bring things back into balance and back into harmony. And we can feel this, you know, all these events in, and feel pain because of them and feel sorrow because of them. But we've got a roadmap back to balance. And that roadmap is accepting that we are going to have to do things in a disciplined and mature and potentially in a uh, more humble fashion as we move forward. All right, let's talk about Tuesday. On Tuesday, November the 24th, the moon will be moving from Pisces into Aries at 10.04 a.m., continuing its first quarter phase. We're going to see a sextile from the moon to Saturn at 5.44 a.m. Uh, the moon will then move into Aries at 10.04 a.m., and then it will trine the sun at 4.12 p.m. So we have harmony between the lights on Tuesday the 24th, so we potentially may be feeling a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more, have a little bit more clarity about what, what we're going to do moving forward. Um, we do have a fixed star conjunction with uh, Mercury this on, on Tuesday. Mercury is going to conjoin 19 degrees of Scorpio, which is uh, close to the fixed star Zubin El Shamali. Uh, and let's go to our star chart and look at that real quick. So here we go on the 24th. Okay, and we can see that we've got now the sun is right in the, the, the claws. Okay, it's right in the right in the claws of the scorpion. This is tropical Sagittarius, this area right here. 
okay, between the claws of the scorpion and the tail. We've got Ophiochus, the snake handler, aka Asclepius, the healer, uh, in this area of the zodiac. Um, here is the peacock down here where we see Jupiter. There's Jupiter in projected ecliptical degree. Okay, again, it's very, very south of the ecliptic, so it may have a little bit less of a, an influence than a fixed star that will be right on the ecliptic or, or closer, which is what we're experiencing with Zubin El Shamali. Okay, so here we have Zubin El Shamali, which is the northern pan. Now, in ancient times, the claws of the scorpion ex extended all the way out, they were huge. Okay. So this was the northern pan or the northern claw of the scorpion. And this was associated with justice, okay, the scales of justice. And we had Zubin uh, El Janubi here, the, the southern claw, which was down here, or the southern pan. Okay, actually, it's right here, sorry. This, this drawing is not my favorite drawing. It, it should be the pans, the, the fulcrum should be here and the pan should be down here. But anyway... Zubin al Janubi was in a more southern latitude. And whenever you have two fixed stars that are related to one another, the northern one is generally more favorable, being north being like ascending uh, and south being like declining. So we had Zubin al Janubi, which was about insufficient price or like a, a payment that is never enough. It was, it was justice that was harsh, it was like merciless. Right, where El Zubin al Janubi is, where I think where we've come back into balance after we we understand that we have this this lack of balance, and we've in over the process of of you know living, we're bringing things back into balance. So they call this one sufficient price, mild justice, mercy, leniency, a favorable verdict. Uh, this is where you've fulfilled your obligations and you've brought things back into balance. Um, with Mercury here, we could be arguing or contesting for equality, for fairness. We could be, uh, you know, kind of advocating for some kind of legal reformation, some kind of justice that is bringing things back into balance. Now, I haven't even talked about what's going on in politics. I sort of kind of shut my brain off to a lot of that after the election, because a lot of it's just tomfoolery right now by the uh, Republican Party grasping at straws, creating conspiracy theories and all of these things, trying to disrupt the results of a legal and fair election. Um, and I hope that we're just going to be able to move forward with all this. And, and I think for my own mental sanity, I, I haven't been, you know, following every single detail of, of the corruption that's been happening with that. So I hope potentially by the 24th, maybe we will start to see uh, balance being restored uh, because this, this week, I'm recording this on Friday, uh, today is the 20th and we're experiencing conjunction with Zubin El Janubi as I'm recording this and things are going off the rails with Republican you know, uh, senators meeting with Trump, trying to, to, to disrupt you know, the vote being certified in Michigan and things like this, where things are just out of whack. So I hope by Tuesday, the 24th, we will start to see some balance be restored. All right, let's move forward to Wednesday. And we'll go back to our chart. 
All right, so let's see. Wednesday, November the 25th, the moon will be in Aries, continuing on. Uh, this is the last day of that first quarter phase before we move into the waxing gibbous phase on Thanksgiving. Uh, the moon will be conjoined Mars at 6.39 p.m. So we have an applying aspect from the moon to Mars for most of Wednesday. Um, Mercury will be moving into the third decan of Scorpio at 4.17 in the a.m. So this particular area of the zodiac, this decan, is... Uh, of course, still hosted by Mars. Um, it is, but the face ruler, the decan, the decanic ruler, is Venus in the uh, in the Chaldean order, and the Moon in the triplicity system. Uh, the tarot card associated with this decan, we've talked about this in shows past, uh, with the new Moon that we experienced in the third decan. But this is the seven of cups that we've been talking about. Uh, this is called illusionary success in book T and debauchery in the book of Toth. Austin Coppock calls it a crow. The fixed stars Unakalhai, Hadar, and Ptolemon are, are present in this area of the zodiac. And the daimon, the spirit associated with this face, was called kairos or opportunity. So this may be a point where we are... Uh, thinking about opportunities that have passed. Um, we may be getting a little bit destabilized because of our pursuits of pleasures that are no longer a reality of, of chasing the ghosts of the past. Um, this is an area of the Zodiac that is kind of associated with, you know, dark, crude, uh, you know, type of, you know, decay, uh, so this may be where our communications take on this like crude sentiments, where we're struggling uh, with some of our darker thought patterns, okay, where we are maybe getting fixed or brooding on, on the past, where we are upset about these opportunities that we feel have passed us by that we may never be able to, to, to get again. This may be the point in time where you're like, oh, I'm really upset because our holiday this year isn't going to be like it was in the past. This, I'm just making a conjecture here, but just thinking about this and how we may experience this. Um, there may be a time where we're pursuing, trying to pursue pleasure of the past. And because it is different this year that we may get upset. And uh, I would encourage you, I, I would say the risk of this is because of our loneliness, because of our uh, dissatisfaction with the, the form that has gone in the past, some real risks are, are abusing substances. Maybe this is a time where some people are tempted. And when, this is a theme of this decan is temptation, are tempted to overindulge in things like alcohol, uh, you know, drugs or whatnot. And I would encourage you to, to try to uh, have balance with things of that nature. And, um, the past is the past. No moment is guaranteed. No experience is guaranteed. And this is why it's why mystics have taught us to live in the moment, because we treat every moment like it's sacred. And this moment is sacred as well. And you will help to alleviate your suffering if you understand that this is a new moment. This is not a moment that is based on the past. This is not a moment that is based on history. That's only your experience. 
that's only in your mind. That is only Mercury trying to deliver you that memory. And that memory may be painful because we are not able to have to recreate it once again. My, my advice to you, though, is this is temporary. This is one year potentially out of many that could happen in the future. And we have to learn to have gratitude for what we have now. If you have good health now, embrace that good health. If you have people that love you in your immediate household, embrace those people. If you have enough food to put on your table, embrace that. If you have the means to be able to connect with your loved ones from afar via technology, appreciate that we live in the time where that's even possible. That's incredible. That is incredible that we are able to see. It's incredible that my voice is coming to you and you can see my face through basically just this square. <laughs> like That is incredible. That's a gift. That's something to appreciate and say, oh my goodness, we're, we are living in amazing times. We're living in difficult times, but also in amazing times. And I think that that can give you some sol solace as we move forward through, through one of the most uh, transformative and challenging years that we've experienced as human beings, I think, in history. All right. So again, understanding Kairos is Kairos in Greek mythology was uh, a figure that had a lock of hair on his forehead. No hair on the back, just on the forehead. And the, 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 the allegory goes, the story helping us to have meaning behind it goes that you can only even, uh, you can only grasp Kairos from the front at the most opportune moment. Not even Zeus himself can grab Kairos from behind. When an opportunity is passed, not even the most powerful force in the universe, the God himself, Zeus, can bring it back. And I think that that's the, that's the way to, to look at this uh, this week moving ahead is there, there are times where we're forms are need to return to the earth and we can mourn them. We can feel our feelings. I don't think that I can alleviate the pain of separation, but our understanding and our gnosis can alleviate, alleviate, alleviate suffering by hanging on to the pain. You can choose to feel the pain and then move forward. You can choose to hang on to the, the past form to, to experience suffering. That's the path to suffering. This is something I tell my, my daughter all the time. There's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is not something we can always avoid. Suffering is, I think, a choice. So choose wisely this week. All right, let's move forward to Thursday. 26th and Thanksgiving Day here in America. On November the 26th, the moon will be starting off in Aries, moving to Taurus uh, over the course of the day. Most of the day will be spent with an Aries moon. Doesn't dip into Taurus until 10.43 p.m., which is unfortunate because uh, the moon is quite fiery in Aries and not as comfortable. Uh, it would have been nice to have a, a Taurus moon over the course of Thanksgiving, but maybe this is after we've stuffed ourselves full of food and given thanks that we can 
relax at the end of the day. We move into the waxing gibbous phase on Thursday. Um, it's a difficult day. Thursday is a difficult day. Probably one of the more difficult of the week. The moon's going to be squaring Pluto at 8.50 a.m. It is going to be squaring Jupiter at 1.14 p.m. and squaring Saturn at 6.45 p.m. Again, then it moves into Taurus at the very end of the day. We do have an Antitia uh, or a, a shadow conjunction with Jupiter at four degrees of the Sagittarian sun and roughly 25 degrees of the uh, Capricorn Jupiter. Now, the way that you calculate Antitia is, is you have these signs that are on equal that are equidistant to the solstice points. And then you have to add the degrees up to 30. Okay, so four degrees Sagittarius is exactly the same distance at from the solstice, winter solstice point as 25 degrees Capricorn is. Okay, so like, let's say that we're just looking at the sun. On November the 26th, there is the same amount of light as there would be when the sun moves to 25 degrees Capricorn, which is probably sometime in you know, late January, all right? Mid-January, mid-January, okay? So, so think about that. We've got, we're, the light is decreasing right now, but it will be increasing to the same level of light at that Antitia point. So we may be tempted to overdo it. We may have some hubris, some grandiose thinking, some arrogance. We may also feel optimistic with a, with a shadow sun and Jupiter kind of thing. Um, but with these squares, tempers may flare. Uh, Thanksgiving, any holiday where we're getting together with extended family members, there's always a, an opportunity for different people that normally aren't thrust together in situations to be put together in uh, you know, a circumstance where <laughs> they're having to talk to one another. And I've experienced this in the past, as I'm sure most of you have, when you know, extended family, it, it can be a little rough sledding trying to connect with them in a way that is healthy. And you know, another thing that we have going on on Thursday is Mercury is going to be conjoining the fixed star Unical High, which is at 22 degrees of Scorpio. That's the heart of the serpent. It was associated with violence, with poisons, with, you know, with Mercury, it's probably with a sharp tongue with words that sting. So I would caution you, highly caution you, to uh, very be very careful about what you express to one another. This may be a time, if you are getting together, whether via, which I hope via virtually and not in person, but I'm sure that some of you out there are still going to do that despite my best warnings and the warnings of the CDC and every other scientific organization that exists on the planet right now. Um, you may get together with people that don't share your beliefs. And we're at a period in history where we're so divided right now on some level and tempers could flare. And th the words have a potential to sting one another at this point. So even if you're getting on a Zoom call with Uncle Joe or Aunt Petunia from Iowa or something like that that you don't normally see, and maybe somebody holds different political beliefs than you or something, the potential for getting into it with somebody is still there, even if it's virtual. I would encourage you to, to take the high road. I would encourage you to, to 
embrace the other nature of a snake, which is shedding the skin, which is not, not holding on to those old arguments, those old grievances, um, trying to find ways that you can connect with one another. And sometimes that requires not talking about those difficult topics. Um, I don't know if there's ever been an argument that has completely changed somebody's uh, mind at Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. I, I'm, I'm probably wrong. Maybe there is. But in general, I think it's a recipe for being uncomfortable. Um, there's a reason why people say don't talk about religion and politics, you know, in in familiar company or what or whatever, uh, because those are things that, that that people disagree on. Now, if you are an enlightened being or something like that, which I don't know, you're not. <laughs> Sorry, like we're all we all fall short of the glory. I'm I don't know if that I'm even. I'm definitely not. <laughs> like I just am a. Uh, a student of this right now, a student of this divine language. Um, I'm not above any of this. And, but I try. I, I try to, when I get influenced by maybe some of these lower natures, I try to consider the ramifications of an action. I still might get into an argument. I still might uh, express uh, from a, maybe a more immature vantage point and definitely guilty of that. Um, but that's why we, you know, that's why we're working on ourselves. That's why we're trying to learn something on this, in this incarnation, you know, and if you're listening to my forecasts, I, I have to think that you're trying to be a better person, that you're trying to, uh, reconcile with some of your lower darker nature with your shadow side with your antitia <laughs> like, right you're wrestling with it and that's okay that is something that is uh, part of being human and but i would encourage you to try to transcend some of those darker uh, impulses as we get together because uh the reality is that um nothing is guaranteed. We're, we're at a point where over 250,000 Americans have lost their lives to a, a very deadly disease. And you don't want the last conversation that you have with somebody to be an argument. I think trying to make peace with people as much as you can is, is important, even if you are very different people. And I think that's really important to, to keep in mind when you are having interactions with your family or with your extended family or friends, or I have to keep that in mind this year, because um, you there could be a situation where you have regret uh, if you say the wrong thing. And you know what? You don't. No one's forcing you to get together with people that you don't that don't you know empower you. I don't even know if that's the right word, or that that don't acknowledge your uh, unique personhood. No one's forcing you to do that. That being said, that you don't have to cut people out of your life if they disagree with you on small things. There's a difference between 
the separation that happens between people who are abusive to one another and folks that just kind of disagree on some things. And uh, only you are going to be the judge of what, what that means for you and what is healthy for your own equilibrium. And I won't fault you if there's some people in your life that you're just like, I can't handle right now. I just can't. I can't get into it with them. There's no shame in that. Sometimes we just need a timeout. And sometimes we just need some time to be with ourselves. Maybe that's this year. And a lot of the, the guilt that we feel is we're just imposing that on ourselves. And um, try to forgive yourself, I think, is, is another way that you could experience this holiday. All right. Well, let's move off of that and move forward to Friday. On Friday, November the 27th, moon will be in Taurus. Yay, Taurus. I like the Taurus moon. I have that as a symbol in my natal chart. So um, Taurus moons are, are fun. So this may be the day after where we get to relax. We're not stressing out about cooking for anybody or for talking to people that we don't normally talk to. Maybe we just enjoy some leftovers. Uh, we are able to like, you know, be a little bit slothful, I would say. Uh, we're continuing the waxing gibbous phase. Now, there are a few things that are going on, though, that may not give us the peace that we're looking for now that I'm looking at it. Oh, boy. The moon conjoins Uranus at 2.10 in the afternoon. Uh, it opposes Venus at 2.24. And it's activating a Venus-Uranus opposition, which happens around noon. Mercury will be making a sextile to Pluto very early in the morning at 23 degrees of, of Scorpio and Capricorn, respectively. Mercury will also be on the fixed star Hadar, which is that, that fixed star in the constellation Centaur, Centaurus, which was, which was Chiron. Uh, this was the knee of Chiron. It's also called a Gina, um, where we're sharing and communicating wisdom. This is about teaching, uh, common sense skills, discussing a difficult past experience or wound potentially. Chiron was the immortal centaur that accidentally was struck by one of Hercules' poisoned arrows and, and was not able to heal that wound, but also wasn't able to die. So he, he lives with this, you know, this really difficult wound. Um, so watch out for the wound that gets opened up, uh, Thursday and Friday with Venus opposite Uranus. This is an interesting placement. We have Venus in her exile, Venus in a difficult spot, Venus having difficulty bringing consensus and harmony and things together. Uh, again, we're, we've, most of us who have, uh, some of that Chironic, <laughs> Chironic, uh, if some of that common sense associated with Chiron, most of us will have spent uh, a separate holiday. We won't have been able to got, get become into union with the, the, our loved ones, maybe just in a unique way, though. So again, with this opposition, maybe we it's just different. Um, if we talk about Uranus as uh, the way that Schmidt does, as a transcendental sun, we can think about it as idealism. So our experience of trying to create unity is in opposition with our idealism on how we think it should be. And that's painful. 
when we have an, a, a real literal experience that doesn't match up with the, the metaphorical divine experience that we're hoping for, we can, we can feel restless. We can feel the pain of that. That is, that is a real thing. Like uh, that's something where when the reality doesn't match up with the ideal, that's when revolutions happen too. So that, that's, I think that's some of the revolutionary uh, significations of Uranus is because you know, people realize that the reality that they're living in, the literal reality isn't matching up with the, the, the dream that they have and they get upset. So try not to get too upset if the reality of, of your holiday didn't match up with the, the idealized version of it, this too shall pass. Um, what else? We've got a sextile with Pluto. So this may be a, a time where we're really uh, getting to the depth of some issue, having some penetrating insight. This could be a time where we're really researching something, uh, probing research, depth psychology, maybe getting fixated on something mentally too or obsessed with something. This is a time where you can really get to the bottom or the heart of an issue. Uh, try not to be too severe with your, with your thoughts. Uh, this could be where you're getting, again, that sarcasm or that biting communication can come into play, where you're stirring up the compost pit to heat it up a little bit. This could be where you're bringing things up from the past and arguing about it with people, which is never really a great, a great deal. <laughs> like, save that stuff for your therapist, you know, and if you have a plan to like, move forward with the people that you're dealing with, that's fine. But dredging old hurts from the past if you're not prepared to, to heal afterwards, can be really damaging. All right, that's Friday the 27th. Let's move forward to uh, Saturday the 28th. On Saturday, November the 28th, we're going to continue the moon uh, in the waxing gibbous phase in Taurus. We're going to have a sextile between the moon and, and Neptune at 11.28 a.m., and then the moon will trine Pluto at 9.39 p.m. Mercury is going to be making a sextile with Jupiter at 9.51 p.m. And Neptune, our, our planet of illusion and of transcendence, will be stationing direct at 7.36 p.m. So that's kind of, a, I guess, the big news of the day is Neptune stationing direct. Now, this isn't uh, super uncommon. The outer planets, Neptune, Pluto, and uh, Uranus spend, you know, most of at least half of the year uh, in retrograde motion. You can see Uranus is still retrograde right now. Pluto is direct. Um, but this may be where we are really getting in touch with what is our dream? What are some of the beliefs that we have that are motivating us? Maybe what are some of the illusions that we have or the mirages or the oasis things that we are, uh, you know, living under a falsehood? This decan of Pisces that Neptune is moving direct in or stationing, that, that's a really important moment. The station is where we may get some really important realizations or oracular kind of speakings. Um, it's called the net in Austin Coppock's book and represented by the, the nine of cups. And he talks about this as being uh, associated with uh, dolos and uh, truth versus falsehood. There's a story in this decan where Prometheus was crafting man out of clay, and he had an assistant named Dolus, which uh, 
tried to has sort of like a sorcerer's apprentice type of energy where when when the master isn't looking he tries to craft his own figure of humanity but ran out of clay and wasn't able to finish the feat but the story goes is that uh, prometheus took took pity and was so flattered by the attempt that he put both in the kiln and and one became truth and one became falsehood so think about what is the reality that you're living in right now is it true is it is it reflective of the cosmic idealism or is it a falsehood is it a false ideal that you're following is it only motivated by material desires i think that's the key of, of discerning real truth and essence versus falsehood is a lot of the times we think that our belief systems are motivated by some higher purpose or some higher calling when they're actually motivated by material security issues. And I think that that's when we, we run afoul of the divine law, is when we're trying to serve these material desires under the guise of spirituality. And, you know, this happens, this has happened throughout the centuries where we have these sacred texts that come down to us and we have the word representing a spiritual truth, an allegory for truth, and then we have people that are turning them into tropes or some kind of moralistic way of living. And that's open to interpretation. And sometimes we have, you know, for example, we had interpretations of the Bible, like the King James version of the Bible. And one of the questions many historians and theologians have had when they're questioning that work is how much of that work was changed to suit the uh, the king, all right, King James. How much of the wording, how much of the stories were shifted from the original uh, language to create subservience to a king, you know, and to to keep people in line and keep people in a system and keep people uh, faithful to the earthly king rather than the divine king. And, you know, I don't have a great answer for that, but I, I, that's always something I ask myself is religion is something that can definitely be corrupted by, by human beings. And that is always a danger when we have an interpreter, you know what I'm saying? So if we get back to our hermeneutic, what, you know, a lot of the times the spiritual teachings are not bad. They're not, um, detrimental they're not harmful but in the translation process people you know insert their own beliefs and their own desires their own wills based on you know their own earthly desire and then it becomes corrupted and we've seen that you know happening playing out in our news cycle and you see it playing out in like oh i don't know like the westboro baptist church which is just spewing hatred and things like that. Like it's, that's not rooted in spirituality. That's not spirit. That's not love. Um, so be careful of how you are trying to transcend your reality and make sure that it is rooted in an essence of spiritual truth rather than a falsehood. And it's hard to know sometimes. And sometimes you need feedback on that. So those themes might really be coming up as we go over the weekend is what is real and what isn't. We may be really trying to discern 
what our shared reality is going to be moving forward. And we've had difficulty with that, especially in America and especially with the internet and things like QAnon and conspiracy theories. We've had a real challenge to what is truth and what isn't. And we've, we've shed a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of doubt cast on what our shared reality is. And uh, I don't have a good answer for you other than just, you know, uh, trust your gut. Try not to get sucked into weird stuff that just seems completely outlandish. And um, ask for feedback sometimes. And not just from whatever echo chamber that you're in. I think that's the date. That's really how we've gotten to this point of division is we've separated ourselves into these echo chambers of separate realities. And now we aren't listening to anyone else that isn't a part of that, that doesn't affirm that particular chosen worldview. That's dangerous. That's when we lose any type of, any semblance of ob objectivity. All right. So just to finish up with the Mercury-Jupiter sextile, that may be a time where we're uh, questioning beliefs, where we're contesting Mercury, belief, Jupiter, all right? Where we're really kind of saying, what, what do we really believe? Maybe we're diminishing the importance of some sort of larger truth as well. Uh, you know, we could think about as a, we could think about, I, I guess in Ren Butler's book, he talks about exaggeration, possible arrogant speech. But I think with, with Mercury in the overcoming position and the superior position, we may be trying to diminish someone else's truth potentially through uh, Mercury trying to divide it up, make it small, contest it, argue against it. So be careful if you get into arguments and you're trying to belittle someone else's belief system because that might be that this Mercury thing. Uh, and you may be uh, being guided by your own illusion. So I guess I would check yourself before you wreck yourself uh, on this particular day. All right, let's finish up the forecast. Thanks for sticking with me. It's probably a long one again. Uh, the sun, let's see, sorry, hold on a second. On November the 29th, which is Sunday, the moon moves from Taurus into Gemini uh, at 11.16 a.m., continuing our waxing gibbous phase. This is the last day before our eclipse. Um, we will have the moon trine Jupiter at 2.53 a.m. at 25 degrees of Taurus and Capricorn. That is very close to the fixed star Algol, so we have an Algol moon on Sunday. Uh, the moon will oppose Mercury at 26, right on the, that fixed star Algol opposing Mercury in, in Scorpio uh, at 3.33 a.m. So this may be a little bit more about Saturday's forecast, but be real careful that you don't lose, lose your head, so, so to speak, in any conversations that you have. It can be really easy to just go off the rails and say things that you don't mean in a fit of peak. So here's your, your pre-argument pre warning that it's okay to take a time out and just really, really consider your words before you say them. Um, the moon will trine Saturn at 7.48 a.m. and then move into to Gemini at 11.16 p.m. Now, we do have a Deccan shift. Venus will be moving into the second Deccan of Scorpio at about 10 o'clock in the morning. This particular Deccan is uh, ruled by the Sun and Jupiter. Um, it is, of course, still hosted by Mars and all of Scorpio, right? Um, but we have a different kind of like face ruler. Um, the tarot card associated with this Deccan is the Six of Cups, 
which many tarot enthusiasts associate with nostalgia, memories. Um, let's see. Here it is here. We see a uh, two children, one giving a cup to another. It's kind of like associated with memory in the past. Austin Coppett calls it mutual distillation. Book T and Book Toth calls it pleasure. We've got a number of those fixed stars in this decan, Acrux, Alfeca, and the two Zubins, El Janubi and El Shamali. The daimon associated with the second decan of Scorpio is Leto, who is the mother of both Apollo and Artemis, the sun and the moon, respectively. So we may have a deep desire for intimacy, for emotional intimacy. We may be mourning the loss of that intimacy due to the, you know, the not being able to manifest things the same way we were in the past. Uh, there is a danger of getting entangled in relationships uh, that are based on the pursuit of pleasure uh, that is a memory of the past. We may have a need to, to cleanse ourselves and let go of old habits, uh, let go of old hungers or old desires. We may experience a catharsis or a release of deep, deeply held emotions through, through processing or distilling our memories. Um, this is the kind of energy where you are, uh, if we're thinking about another allegory, turning water into wine, right? This is the, or turning grapes into wine. This doesn't even have to be water. This could be like where we are taking the, the grapes of the past, crushing them down and figuring out what we're going to save from that process. What did we learn from the past? What have we learned from our relationships? What have we learned from uh, opportunities that are no longer manifesting in the world of form? What do we need to release in our relationships to move forward to a rebirth? And, you know, this is the thing, you know, semi-sonic said it best, closing time, every new beginning, what was it, closing time, every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end, right? So, Embrace the endings. It's, it's a liberation. I love that word when I think of the malefics now, the liberation of, of malefic influences, the liberation of Mars, the liberation of Saturn. You know, being able to separate from stuff that doesn't serve us anymore. Being able to, to figure out what the essence is of our, of our experience, and what we've learned from it. That's where the wisdom comes in. And that's where your wisdom process hopefully is going to serve you well is by understanding your past, not getting fixated or lost in it, taking with you the experience and, and the, the lesson, and then letting the rest of it go. Because that wisdom is going to inform the new start that you're going to make in whatever is bringing you vitality moving forward, okay? So that's what I've got for this week. Um, looking ahead to next week, the 30th through the 6th. On Monday the 30th, we've got our full moon lunar eclipse at 8 degrees of Gemini and 8 degrees of Sagittarius. So the moon will be at 8 Gemini. Big changes. Uh, this is where we really are going to be dealing with truth versus falsehood. And what do we really believe? And what are the skills necessary to bring our dreams into reality? Um, we're going to see a sextile between uh, Mercury and Saturn on Monday as well. On the first, Mercury moves into its exile into Sagittarius. So we'll discuss that. 
Um, we got some fixed star placements where Venus will be conjoining Acrux and Alfeca at 12 Scorpio on Tuesday the 1st. The sun will be conjoining the fixed star Antares at 10 degrees of Sagittarius. That'll be interesting to break down. That's one of the royal fixed stars. So a big, big day with that. And uh, we're going to be changing decans with the sun. And towards the end of the week, Venus will be moving into a trine relationship to Neptune. So uh, we'll be starting to get some more clarity on the, what the dream is and what the, how we're going to transcend the reality and move forward to our new chosen endeavors. So I hope that you're all doing well out there. I, I feel your pain uh, as far as the family get-togethers go. Some of you may be celebrating. You're like, I didn't, I didn't like getting together with the extended family anyway, and, and so be it. Uh, you've gotten a reprieve for a year, I guess. So uh, someone's reality and someone's hardship and pain is someone else's celebration, and that's often how it works in the world. But hang in there if you are feeling some difficult emotions this week when it comes to the holidays. The holidays are always something where we think about things in the past and how things should be versus the reality of them. Just remember that what you're experiencing is not necessarily the truth. It is based on the past memory and try to be present as much as you can. Um, if you are enjoying these forecasts, please hit that like button, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're on, YouTube uh, and the, the um, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. That really helps the algorithm and, and my videos appear for other people. If you want to support the work that and I'm doing here monetarily, I do have a few donation links, including a Venmo at Spencer Michaud and a PayPal me link. Um, of course, the best way that you can support my work is to reach out for a reading. If you need some guidance through the holiday season, uh, reach out and I will, I will help, uh, help you work through it and the types of things that you may be experiencing. So I hope that that helps everyone. And I hope that you have a good Thanksgiving and find things that you can have gratitude for despite the challenging circumstances. Take care, everyone. Peace.